Let's pray. God, we thank you for, uh, for the reminders tonight so far that you are everything to us. You are everlasting. You don't need us because you give life and breath to every creature on earth, and you don't, you don't need us for anything, but you choose to use us, and we need you, God. And so tonight, I know I need you. Help me, Lord. Help your spirit to, to work in me as, as I speak your word. And uh, Lord, help us to, to see any changes that we need to make in our heart and repent and, and change our, our, our course of action. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What happens when you're busted? You get a lockup, right? Uh, well, okay. For the less criminally offensive in the room, just in general, okay? Not necessarily going to jail, but although sometimes that does happen, and uh, we see how people respond, right? We see how people respond when they get busted. How do people respond? They might cry. They might fight. Deny. Mm-hmm. Lie. Mm-hmm. Um, right, it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... But for some of us, uh, when we know we do something wrong and we get caught, uh, there are many different ways we can respond. Many different ways. Um, and probably the biggest example in, in public life right now is Tiger Woods. All right? And Tiger, uh, you know, his wife broke out his, his car window, and initially he said, oh, it was nothing. You know, he got in an accident, you know, whatever. Uh, and then, the, and then the rumors started coming out, and oh, uh, and then then the denial started coming out. Oh, it's nothing, it's nothing. All those rumors are nothing. You know, they're irresponsible rumors. But now it's come out that all of the rumors were true, and 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 what did we see last Friday? Right, we saw him crying. We saw him apologizing. Um, we saw him doing all of these things. Uh, seemingly because he was, well, well, that's the thing. Why is he doing that? Is he doing it because he got caught? Because his wife is going to take millions of dollars in, in divorce money? Because he's going to lose all his sponsorships? Because nobody respects him anymore? Are these the reasons he is sorrowful? Do we know that? Do we know that? We don't really know that. We can't say 100% that we know Tiger's heart. We can, we can guess and we can use reason and logic, but um, I want to talk tonight about uh, the Corinthians, actually, and we're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and a little background on the Corinthians, uh, especially 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. We only have two of the letters that Paul wrote to them, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter he wrote. 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter he wrote. We don't have the first one or the third one. Are you totally confused yet? Okay. Um, that's, how it, that's, that's how it works. Uh, the second letter, 1 Corinthians, was written to address specific issues in the church. And... After, after that letter, the people continued to rebel. And there even formed a, uh, uh, what's the word? I don't want to say mutiny. Maybe, maybe that's the word. But what happened was that, that there were some people who decided that they didn't want Paul to be their leader anymore. And so they started spreading this to everyone else. And the, people, the Corinthians actually turned against Paul. 
And so now he had to write another letter. That's what the third letter is. The third letter uh, was a letter, a strong letter of rebuke. And we don't have that letter. But we know what that letter's purpose was. Um, And so he wrote this very harsh letter uh, to the Corinthians to get them to repent. And it actually worked. It actually worked. And we're going to see that tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, This past Friday, uh, there was a young boy who came to youth group, and he's... He's about 10 years old. He should not be there. And, but he continues to come week after week. And he gets in fights. And he breaks stuff. And so Friday night he came again. And I, and I told him that he should not come. And so I got very angry with him. In front of everybody. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Now. And then I went on to talk about being angry and not sinning. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but it was the continued rebellion that, that sparked my, my anger, that sparked my rebuke on this young boy. Um, and, I, and it's the continued rebellion that sparked Paul's harsh rebuke on the Corinthians. And so the longer your rebellion is, the harsher the discipline is that needs to come in order to break you of your rebellion. So if some of you are in rebellion especially against your parents or your school teachers, um, don't be surprised when the discipline is harsh, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. But, but Paul, Paul wrote this uh, letter of 2 Corinthians, and, he, and now he's talking to them, and he's being much more gentle with them because they have repented. And this is what he says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 8. He says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter... I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. So see, he wrote this letter. He knew he was being harsh in this letter, and and he said he did regret sending this letter because he was afraid he was too harsh in this letter. But, But he saw that the letter actually worked, and it caused repentance and sorrow in the Corinthians and it turned them back to him. And so now he's saying, even though it grieved you for a while, I'm glad I sent it. Parents, have you ever done something to your, to your kid and they, they grieved and they sorrowed and you almost felt bad for what you did, even though you knew you had to discipline them? This is what Paul is feeling. Uh, but in verse 9, he says, as it is, I rejoice Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. The people were sorrowful and repented and turned back to Paul. They they suffered no loss through them. They suffered no harm from Paul and his companions. Paul didn't have to go back to Corinth and kick people out of the church. Because... It was easy for them, and as it is easy for us, to talk about someone behind their back. But as soon as they confront you with it, your story changes. You tend to be a lot more gentle. Oh, I didn't really say, oh, I didn't really mean it like that. Uh, they, uh, they, they took what I said, and they, you know, they made it sound a lot worse than I, than I really meant it. Paul was thankful he didn't have to go there and do this face to face. But here's the main reason that Paul is rejoicing. As he says in verse 9, 
I rejoiced because they were sincere, because they truly repented. He didn't want to just yell at them to make them feel bad because they had messed with him, right? It wasn't about Paul. He felt their sorrow was sincere and that they were led into repentance for their sorrow. Some people just like to point out the wrong that we've done, right? And you can tell when someone is just bashing you just to make you feel bad, not because they want to correct you and lead you in a better path for your benefit, but just because they're mad that you mess with them. This is something that I have to think about based on what I did on Friday night, right? Because was, it, was I mad just because he kept disobeying me? Or am I concerned that, that he's setting a pattern in his life of disobedience that's not going to benefit him in the future? That's something I have to wrestle with. Maybe that's something I have to repent of. Paul is not being selfish because he actually cared about their relationship with God. And this is something that I believe is, is wrong with our society because people, people want to point out so many bad and negative things among people, especially the teenagers. And so, so people start to learn that confrontation is always bad. They start to hate confrontation. It only makes me feel bad, so I don't ever want to know, don't tell me when I've done something wrong. Because all you care about is making me feel bad. You don't, you're not doing this for my benefit. You're only doing this to make me feel bad. But Paul wanted to confront these people to lead them to repentance so that they could have a meaningful relationship again with Paul and with God. But in verse 10, uh, Paul tells us, he lets us know that there is a difference between merely being sorry for doing something and truly repenting for what we've done. There's two kinds of sorrow when it comes to, to the things that we've done. Uh, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. This is what Paul says in verse 10. It says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's two kinds of sorrow, godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. Let's look at worldly sorrow first. The text says it produces death. How does worldly sorrow produce death? This is when we feel bad about what we've done, but our motives are purely selfish. And when we say death, we mean any kind of loss, hurt, destruction, and, and maybe even literally death of our physical body. So how does it produce death? I think there are, there are a number of ways. Number one, uh, it produces death because we're only sorry we got caught. We're only sorry or, or we're only scared that people might think poorly of us now or, or we're going to lose something, Right? Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to lose my computer privileges because I talk back to my parents. Oh, no, uh, that, that guy I like is going to think I'm a freak now because of what he saw me doing or what he found out I did. Oh, no, I'm going to lose my job because I got caught stealing. Um, and so your sorrow is really all about you. But eventually, eventually, the consequences of your actions will fade away. Or you may just get used to the consequences, and so you become kind of hard-hearted toward them. And so you never really changed, 
And eventually, no matter how much you, you vow that you will never do that thing again, you will. And so your relationships will continue to break down. Your body will continue to break down, depending on what you're doing. If, and if you leave it long enough, there are some things that could literally kill you if you continue to do them. So it produces death because, because we're only scared, because it's about ourselves. Uh, number two, it produces death because we, we blame shift. We blame everyone else. You get busted, you feel the negative consequences, and you start to freak out and cry and scream. But you haven't really changed your mind about, about what you did. So, so really, you did nothing wrong, and so it must be someone else's fault. Someone, someone did something to me a long time ago, so I'm not responsible for my actions anymore. Of course I had to curse at them because of what they did to me. They did it to me, so I had to respond. Or you're the one who fill in the blank. And so you never change. It's always someone else's fault. So it's okay to do whatever you want because you're not responsible. And you'll continue to sin and produce a cycle of death but be completely confused and frustrated because bad things keep happening and you never stop to think that maybe you need to change. Number three, it produces death because even though we might feel really bad about the thing that we're doing and we know it's wrong, many times we will run right back to that thing as a coping mechanism. It feels good in the moment. It works right now. But afterward, the guilt comes, and you feel bad, and you don't like to feel bad. And so what's something that makes you feel good? Oh, that thing that made me feel bad. But it feels good in the moment. So you run back to that thing, and it gives temporary relief. Uh, but in the end, it leaves you in a worse position than you were before. So this can be alcohol. This is, this is drugs, this is lust, this is pornography. For some people, it might be shopping because they feel bad about not having money or they feel bad about, about the debt that they're in, and so they have to somehow spending money makes them feel better about not having money, yet it makes them more and more in debt, and so they feel bad because they're always reminded that they don't have money, and so they need to buy something else to make them think that they have money, but they don't. We can use anything to destroy ourselves. We can use our mouth. We can use slander. We think we're clever, and so we put people down, and then people don't like us, and so they talk about us, and so we have to talk about them, and so they don't like us, and so they say things about us, and so we continue the cycle. These things make us feel good for a moment. It feels good to cut someone down. We feel like we got back at them. It feels good to take that, that drink. It feels good to watch that pornography, to feel that lust for a moment. But the reality is that we are falling deeper and deeper into slavery to those things. Those are a few ways that 
Worldly sorrow produces death. The sorrow hasn't led to repentance. So you still have guilt, you still have regret, you still blame other people, and you're stuck in a continuous cycle of sin and destruction and death that never changes because you haven't changed your mind about what you're doing. But there is a different kind of sorrow that Paul talks about. He calls it godly grief, godly sorrow. And when we, when we break the words down, godly grief, godly sorrow, when we break those words down in the, in the original language, we get the idea that this repentance is coming down from the greater to the lesser. And so this, this repentance is coming from God being passed down to us. So what does the word repentance mean? If, again, if we're looking at the Greek word, if we're going to the original language, we look at the word metanoia, which, which means, and this is, this is the dictionary, the, the definition you'll get in a Greek dictionary, a change of mind as it appears to one who repents of a purpose he has formed or of something he has done. And no one knows what that means. Uh, it just means, just means you've changed your mind. You, you had a purpose in your head to do something. Or there's something that you're doing, but you change your mind. Your mind changes how you think about that thing. And so you turn in a different direction. Heading in one direction spiritually, but now turned away and heading in another direction. And so godly grief produces a repentance that is authentic. Because it comes from God. And God is true. You're no longer thinking according to your own wisdom, but you're lining up your thinking according to God's word. And when your thinking lines up according to God's word, your actions will follow. In Psalm 51, verse 4, David says this. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But what's the situation that David wrote Psalm 51 from? He had, he had slept with Bathsheba, and he had killed Uriah. He had killed her husband, and he had covered it up. So how can he say that you and you only have I sinned against when he's talking to God? Because ultimately, that's who our offense is against. And that's where our minds need to change. Yes, we do hurt other people. But it's only because God says it's a sin that makes it a sin. Doing something that other people don't like isn't always a sin. Because sometimes we have to do things that people don't like in order to stand up for the truth. But if God says it's a sin to do something against someone else, then it's a sin because he has said it. Because he is the one who determines what sin is. And all sin is against God. There's no such thing as a private sin between you and someone else because you said something bad about someone and you apologize to them, but you haven't asked God for forgiveness. You haven't repented before God. So our repentance, our change of mind and action comes from God because it's based on his word. And that leads to what? Paul tells us to salvation without regret. We no longer have to feel guilty about what we've done. We are forgiven and we are free from our past. But our repentance also makes our future better 
because we're going to break the cycle of sin that leads to more and more regret and guilt. Why? Because we've changed our mind about that action. This means that we don't need to live with lingering guilt over things that we did 20 years ago or yesterday if your repentance was sincere. If you have changed your mind about it and your actions have followed through on that, you don't always need to feel guilty. You should not say, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And that's something that people say all the time. That's almost self-indulgent. It's saying that your standards are higher than God's standards. And that is idolatry and that is blasphemy. And the reality is that you're probably only worried about what people think of you if they know what you did. So you're worried about how people are judging you. And what you're doing is you're putting their opinion on a higher level than God's opinion. And that too is idolatry. So, how do you know if your grief is godly or worldly? Because there can be change when we get busted, right? We can have different actions, but how do we know if it's real? If the mind has been changed, we look at what it produces. Look at what it produced in the Corinthians, verse 11. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. It produced in the Corinthians a passion for holiness, a desire to do justice, to make the situation right with the one who was offended a continued earnestness for pursuing the truth. That's what repentance produces, and it produces it consistently over a period of time. It doesn't just do it once and say, okay, I don't need to do that anymore. I can go back to the old way I used to think and do things. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong change. So it's not just a change that you make in your mind and no one else knows about it. Right? It has to produce action. And uh, some of us probably need to uh, try to make an effort to, to make things right with some people that you've offended. You don't just say in your mind, oh, I'll never do that again. Meanwhile, the relationship is broken. We should follow the example of the Corinthians who strove to set things right. It's no such thing as hidden or secret repentance. There will be a noticeable change in how you live when you line up your thoughts with God's word. Now, it's easy to seek repentance for the things that we do wrong, for things that we know are sinful. But what about when we're trying to do the right thing? Do we ever need to seek repentance for that? Tiger, is he's trying to to do some right things now, right? Even though he is not a believer. You know, he said he's a Buddhist and all those kind of things. But unwittingly, he is trying to align himself with God's word. He has learned that adultery is wrong, right? 
He has learned that he needs to think of others first before he just does whatever he wants without considering the consequences. Even the unbeliever can line themselves up with God's word, doing the right thing. But righteous acts do not produce righteousness in us. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is baptizing people. He's declaring a baptism of repentance. And the people are coming. Repentance of sin. The people come. They want to be baptized. And this is what John says. In chapter 3, verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, to repent of their sin. What does he say to them? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. They were coming to do what he asked them to do, and he told them they were a bunch of snakes. They were trying to do righteous things. But John said, no, it's not just a one-time righteous act that you do that produces repentance in you. If you want to be truly repentant, there needs to be fruit born out of that. There needs to be different actions that come out of your change of mind. In verse 8, he says, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's saying, don't rest on your history. Don't rest on your tradition. Don't rest on a one-time righteous act that you think gets God off your back. He's saying, let there be fruit in your life that shows true repentance, a true change of mind. And I think for us, and I think for even the teens of Calvary Bible Church, there can be a tendency to say, even unwittingly, to say, I go to Calvary Bible Church. Pastor Lee is my pastor. He teaches the word. My parents go to church. I'm a good kid. You know, I don't do anything too bad. I'm not perfect, but I don't do anything too bad. And so we tend to rest on, on this idea that, that we go to a good church, we're a part of a good family, and so I'm good. John says it doesn't matter of how many righteous acts you do, how many times you go to church. Even doing the things that God wants you to do doesn't make you righteous. It all has to do with, is your heart repentant before God? Does your heart recognize that you are a sinner and you need to line up your thoughts with God's word? Your righteous acts do nothing to make you righteous before God. 
And I think some of us need to repent of our righteousness because we have rested on that and forgotten that all of our righteousness comes from Christ Jesus. And his perfect life and his substitutionary death and being buried and and rising again, all of our righteousness is in that. Now, our life needs to, we do need to walk in holiness. We do need to walk in righteousness, walk according to God's word. But those things don't make us righteous. It is all Jesus who makes us righteous. It is everything about who he is, who he was, that makes us able to stand before God. There is nothing that we do. Being here tonight doesn't weigh any balance with God. It doesn't put God in your debt in any form. So you don't get to say to God, God, you owe me something good. Because he has given you everything good in Christ Jesus. So, teens, please don't rest on the fact that you go to Calvary. Who your pastor is, who your youth pastor is. I want to ask you, have you ever truly, have you ever truly repented? Have you ever felt sorrow for what you did? Not just because you're going to lose privileges, you're going to be grounded, or somebody's going to think badly of you, or is it because you realize you have sinned against God? On Friday night, we talked about grieving the Holy Spirit. Has your spirit been grieved over your sin? When's the last time you cried over your sin? Have you ever done it? And I'm not saying crying means repentance is authentic. I'm just saying there needs to be grief over our sin. We can't be casual about it. I don't want to call you a brood of vipers. John was, John was a lot more bold than I am. That's not what I want to call you at all. That's, don't even think that. I'm just saying. Our righteousness rests in Christ. God doesn't care about our righteous acts. He does want us to, to walk in holiness and righteousness. So what do we need to repent of? Do we need to repent of the sinful things that we keep doing? Do we need to repent of blaming other people? Do we need to repent of only thinking about ourselves when we sin? Do we need to repent of thinking that we are righteous before God because we go to church, because we give money? Let's pray. Maybe you need to ask God for forgiveness uh, for the things that you know you're doing that are wrong. And as part of your repentance, maybe you need to ask God to show you people who you can be accountable to so that you don't repeat the things that you know are sin. Someone who is going to lovingly confront you and lovingly correct you. I've had to do that with some people uh, recently in the last week. One group responded with repentance. They understood that what they did was wrong. And, they, and like the Corinthians, they tried to make it right. Another person cried and just wanted their consequences to go away. But they did not change. And they continued to lie about the situation. 
Ask God to forgive you for relying on your own righteousness to stand before him and praise Jesus for what he did to make it possible for you to be right with God. There may be someone that you need to make a situation right with tonight. You can do that tonight. Maybe you need to make it right with God tonight. What do you need to repent of? Who do you need to talk to? Lord, we thank you for for your grace and for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray tonight that we would have godly grief that leads to salvation without regret so that we don't stay, we don't live in this just feeling bad about what we do in this cycle of sin where we just constantly feel bad about what we do but we don't change. Lord, let us live without regret. Let us move past the guilt, receiving your forgiveness and living in freedom and passing that freedom onto others, telling them about the freedom found in Jesus. In his name we pray.